0: We've been in this series on the book of Proverbs and this morning I'm going to grab another proverb. What I've loved about this is it's given us a chance as teachers to just teach a proverb that has been particularly meaningful to us and that's what I've done today. But if you've missed the last few weeks, you've really missed some you know, wonderful proverbs and last week in particular, Scott Henderson, our student ministry pastor, did such a fine job Really excellent job. And for those of you that were there and and those of you that have students in this ministry that know Scott, you know how blessed we are to have Scott and his family here at Fellowship. And I was just reminded last week, as I listened to him teach, uh, what a gift he is to our body. So I'm grateful for that. And and I'm grateful now to be back here as well because I get to teach one of my favorite Proverbs this morning. Before I tell you what it is, I wanna tell you why it means something personal to me. When I was at Dallas Seminary, the class that I was most excited about taking was the, the preaching class. And there's two or three that you can take, but the, everyone has to take this first preaching class. And I was excited about it because it was the thing that I was most looking forward to about ministry. And, but you know, I'd never preached a sermon before, so you don't, I didn't know if I could do it or not. So I was also nervous. Like, what if I've gone through all this energy and effort and, and expense to go to seminary and, and it turns out I'm not a very good good teacher. And obviously there's a lot of other ministry to do, but I, I really was, was there because I wanted to teach God's word. And so I took my first preaching class with great excitement, but also great fear and trepidation. The way the class is wired, you, you're put together, you put about two thirds of the time just learning, and then you get to teach. You get to preach a sermon before your professor and your fellow students which is terrifying in and of itself. They're evaluating every word you say and you get evaluated by every single one of them. They fill out this form and like nitpicky stuff they were going after, which is another story. But all that to say is the the message that we got to teach was a proverb and we wouldn't all teach the same proverb. So the teacher assigned us a proverb. And I remember the day he assigned the proverbs, I I was back there thinking, oh, I hope I get proverbs three, five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, or you know, give me another good one. Give me an easy one. You know, give, give me um, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I remember he was handing out these these references, and he would call you to the front one at a time. And I'm S in the alphabet, so I have to wait toward you know, kind of near the end. And if, there goes Proverbs three, five, and six. You know, there it goes. So there goes the other another good one. There goes another good one. I'm like, well, surely he's going to save a good one for me. And I went up, and he handed me Proverbs twenty five sixteen. I thought I've never heard of that proverb. You know, I did not know what that one is. Must be a hidden gem in there I've never heard of. So I went back to my, my desk real quick and opened my Bible in Proverbs 25, 16. I read, if you find honey, eat just enough. Too much and you will vomit. Preach it. Preach it. That's what I was thinking. I was like, how am I gonna preach it? And I went to the professor because I was genuinely confused. I thought maybe he inverted it and it was supposed to be Proverbs 16, 25 or something like that. And I said, Dr. Warren, I think there's a mistake. And he just had the smirk on his face. And he said, oh, no, no, Rob, there's no mistake. Have fun with that. So I went home to my wife, Jody. and I said, Jody, poor me, poor me. All these other guys got these good proverbs and I got the vomiting proverb. And she, she laughed and she looked at me and she said, good luck with that. And so I said, God, poor me, poor me. And God said, I have something to teach you through this proverb. And sure enough, as I dug into it, I found something that has stayed with me all of these years. And so this morning, I'm going to teach it to you. And so I want to reread the text again, this time as our scripture reading for this time, for this moment, for this congregation for this day. I'm going to keep it in the new international version because that was the version that I happened to teach it in those years ago. And so I'm going to reteach it this morning in that same version. We'll put it on the screen. You can also open your copy of God's word and I will read it this way. Our scripture reading for this morning is from Proverbs 25, 16. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it, and you will vomit. This is the living word of God for us today. And all God's people said, amen. All right. Now, you, you, you hear this proverb and you think, surely there's more going on. Like, did Solomon take all this time just to warn people about overeating honey? And like most proverbs, there's the surface level understanding, and then there's something deeper underneath. But let's start with the surface level understanding. Raise your hand if at any point in time you learned this lesson about some kind of food the hard way. All right, hand up. Now, keep your hands up for a minute. I'm just gonna call on a few people. Just tell me what kind of food it was, okay? You don't have to get into it more than that. Just tell me how to, now the hands go down. I see, I see your hand. Yes, ma'am. It was honey. It was? Are you kidding? I've never heard actually anyone do this. How old were you about? Were you little? Four. okay. This actually happened with honey. Like you've lived this proverb. That's incredible. You know, like don't just know God's word, live God's word. Okay, yeah. Chips and salsa. Chips and salsa. Okay. uh, Don't get a mental image of these. You just have to kind of just roll with it. Okay, yeah. A baked giant burrito. A baked giant burrito. (laughs) I love the fact that it was baked. It was a baked burrito. Okay, yes, ma'am. Chocolate covered strawberries. Chocolate covered strawberries. Oh, I hate to ruin such a good thing as that. And then right behind you, yes, ma'am. Cadbury eggs, I love those, yes. White Castle. White Castle, oh. All right, Sean, you get the last one. Cake and ice cream. Well, cake and ice cream, okay. All right, now, here's the thing about this. Like, so I I did this with American cheese when I was little, all right? I hate American cheese to this day. and you know, Some of you probably, you've like never touched another Cadbury egg or whatever it is. Some, sometimes this experience can ruin it. By the way, my, my uh, American cheese story, I, I snuck into my parents' fridge. I grabbed one of those big packs and I was fascinated because they all are individually wrapped. I thought that was so fun. And I unwrapped them all and then I discovered if you fold them in half, you have two slices. If you fold that in half, you have four slices. And I kept folding them in smaller pieces and I made these little cheese stacks all over the table in front of me and then I proceeded to consume the cheese stacks one at a time until the inevitable result happened. I was actually, consciously I was thinking I'm going to cover up the evidence of stealing all the cheese and then the evidence just was everywhere. But (laughs) don't, again, you can't picture it or otherwise this is going to get really nasty. But we, we learned this at a young age. And, and so I picture a young Solomon probably had the same experience you did with honey. And so he's writing about it, right? So at the surface level, like that's just what it is. Like fill in the blank, American cheese, Cadbury eggs, White Castle. <laughs> you could fill in the blank and, and, and rewrite this, this proverb. But as I studied this in seminary, I learned there's actually more to the concept of honey in the Bible than meets the eye. So honey has significance, particularly in the ancient culture. So think about it. The the Bible describes the land that the people were going to go into as a land overflowing with milk and honey. Both of those words represent things. There was more in the land than just milk and honey. But the milk represents the staples. The milk represents all that you need to survive. Like Think about That's what a, a baby needs. We human beings need the nutrients of milk. Honey represents what you don't need, but... God gives it to you anyway because he's a generous God. Honey represents the sweet things of life. Honey represents abundance above and beyond your need. Honey represents the pleasures of life. So now let me reread this again in in this context. If you find some pleasure in life, eat just enough, too much, and you'll become sick. So that was the first thing I learned, and I thought, oh, wow, this proverb is about how to manage the pleasures of life, how to manage the sweet things of life that honey represented, and and I started digging some more, and here's what I learned. In that day, not everyone had access to honey. Now, for us, you go to the grocery store, and it's everywhere. I mean, you can find your variety and your local honey, and you get all fancy with it, or you can just get the the teddy bear-shaped bottle which is what I have on my pantry. I bet 90 plus percent of people in this room have honey in your pantry at home right now and you can go have some anytime you want. But in Solomon's day, honey was a delicacy. It was one of the things that not everybody had access to. Notice Solomon's first word in this proverb is if. It's not a guarantee. So Solomon's saying, let's say you're fortunate enough to be walking out in the wilderness and you happen to stumble upon a beehive and you're brave enough to get past the bees and you find honey. I have some advice for you if you're in that situation, Solomon is saying. Or maybe more realistically in that culture, if you were in the, the, the lower class, which most people were, if you happen to be fortunate enough that you have a friend, who found some honey and kept it in a little jar and, and will give you some on occasion. If you find honey. It was only the wealthiest people, like the Solomons of that day, who could have honey anytime they wanted, just stored, hey, I want some honey right now, and there it is. Yet we have it all over. I mean, the, 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 the honeys in our lives, the pleasures of our lives are, are just ubiquitous. They're everywhere around us. When Solomon wrote this proverb, there's no way he could envision a society where something as sweet and rare as honey would be a common pantry staple. There's no way Solomon could have anticipated a culture with such comfort and pleasures and and entertainment and all the things we have around us. We can literally wake up in the morning and go to bed at night and everything in between just jumping from one pleasurable experience or taste or comfort to another without even thinking about it. There's no way Solomon could have envisioned this. I think today, one of the reasons this proverb exists is because the Spirit knew where society was heading. The Spirit knew there would come a day there's so much honey around us that God needs to instruct his people how to manage the pleasures of life so that it doesn't destroy them. And if you back her up at our society and think about what's going on right now, it isn't the, the entertainment, the pleasure, and the good foods and the taste that, that people are trying to seek and find satisfaction in causing massive destruction in lives all around us? Of course. So the question for us this morning as Jesus followers how do we follow Jesus in the land of milk and honey? How do we follow Jesus in a place where the ubiquitous pleasures of life are everywhere we look? Let me just give you an example, describe to you the first two hours of my day this morning. I woke up in my 14 inch luxury, I think it's luxury, memory foam, multi-layered mattress which my wife and I, I mean, we shopped, like we did one of those like bed in the box things and we returned like five of them until we kept the one because we were searching for the perfect one and we finally found it. And we had just come back from travel and so it was so good to be in your own bed. That's a little simple pleasure of life, right, right there. I had instant hot water for my shower and if it was a little too cold, I could turn it up, a little too warm, turn it down to get it the precise degree that I wanted. That's an amazing thing if you think about it in the context of history. That's only been recently that could happen. Then I I, I put on very comfortable clothing. The fabrics of this clothing I'm wearing has been developed over, you know, years and years and years. And, you know, these are like air-breathable pants. They're wrinkle-free. And, you know, I've got on like an all-cotton T-shirt under here. I mean, it's, it's like designed for comfort. I had hot coffee magically come out of a machine at the push of a button right into my cup. And uh, Eric Hoffman makes fun of me for this. I don't just drink the coffee. I, I mostly drink the stuff that goes in the coffee and the coffee's on the side a little bit. So I, that was another pleasure, you know, the creamer and all that. Uh, later on, I, I went to church and I got in a self-propelled, climate-controlled vehicle with five settings on my seat to make the seat the perfect comfort for me. And, and, and I plugged in my Apple CarPlay and I could have any song in the world that I want accompanying me on my journey to church this morning. I did all this without even giving it a thought. And I bet your morning wasn't that different from that. It's so easy for us just to go from one pleasurable, comfortable experience to the next and then eventually our life ends, we lay down our head and we realize, you know what? I I think my whole life was basically about avoiding discomfort as I sought pleasure and comfort. Everybody's working for the weekend. <laughs> I Forgive my singing. But, but that was going in my head this morning as I was thinking about this because you can make the point of life the pleasures. Is there not more? Please, God, tell us there's more. Solomon says, the pleasures are there to be enjoyed, but watch out because they can make you sick. So this morning, I wanna help us develop a bit of a theology of pleasure. This is something in our day and time we must wrestle with. We must have a healthy, robust theology of pleasure if we are going to follow Jesus in our time and place. So let's use this proverb and let's talk about where, where, where we go, what we learn from scripture about pleasure. Here's the first foundation to our theology of pleasure. Number one, pleasure does not equal sin, pleasure does not equal sin. Many people automatically associate those two things together. I was grocery shopping thinking about this, and I, I went down the, the snack aisle, the treat aisle, and I was amazed how many things have the word, you know, sinful or temptation or, you know, the sinful treat or the guilty pleasure. Have you ever thought about how much we associate pleasure with sin, just kind of consciously? And what our society is telling us right now is just like, you know, go for it. It's like you can be a little naughty, wink, wink. We have this idea in our culture that's also crept into our theology that pleasure equals sin. Are pleasures the problem? Like healthy, God-given pleasures, are they the problem? They are not, I'll answer that for you. Solomon says, if you find honey, what's the very next word? Eat. So Solomon could have said to, to his son and the younger generation that he was training, if you find honey, Watch out, run away, hide before it, it creates in you a compulsion that will lead to destruction. He could have said that. He does not. He says, if you find honey, eat. Pleasures are not the problem. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about this, and I wanna to read to you from The Screwtape Letters, which if you're unfamiliar with that title, it's a delightful book in which C.S. Lewis imagines a senior demon writing letters to a junior demon, like training his, his younger, is his nephew, training his, the younger demon how to be a good demon, you know, how to mess God's plans up and how to tempt people It's very cleverly written, and this is something that the senior demon says to the younger demon, think of of it in that context. Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced At times, or in ways, or in degrees, which he has forbidden. That's a good starting point for a theology of pleasure. Pleasure is God's territory, it is God's domain. The problem is not the pleasures. The problem is the misuse of the pleasures. And by the way, there's a lot of different ways to misuse pleasure, but the one that Solomon is focused on in this text is overindulging, eating too much, or, or you know whatever the pleasure is, consuming too much. In other words, Solomon is saying, if you eat, consume, um, give yourself over to the pleasure without limits, it will make you sick, you will vomit. And that, that's a very specific and, and kind of gross word in our, in our modern language usually, because it's just associated with this very uncomfortable feeling, let's just name it, a, a, a sight, taste, smell, it's just gross. Don't back away from the the visceral feeling of that word. Vomiting is a great word to use to talk about overindulging anything. What goes down pleasurable will come up to bring discomfort and destruction. And many of us have experienced this in various places of our life, not just with food. There is great discomfort and destruction and brokenness that comes from overindulging in pleasures of life. So we learn this lesson through Cadbury eggs or American cheese or honey at an early age. Why do we keep doing it? Granted, in more sophisticated ways, what is going on inside of us that makes it feel like we have no control? As I thought about this and and thought about what what Scripture has taught me over time about my heart and and about our our hearts and what we've been learning here at Fellowship, I, I came to this conclusion that we tend to overindulge when we are seeking from a thing more than that thing is designed to give us. This is true in all kinds of things. We tend to overindulge when we are seeking from a thing more than what that thing was designed to give us. So we turn to pleasurable food for more than food, don't we? When I've had a stressful day, when I've had a hard week, I wanna eat, and it's not because I'm hungry. There's only certain kinds of food I'm, I wanna eat. Like, I'm gonna eat the junk. You know, why? what's going on in me? we try to squeeze from the pleasures of life whether it's food or whether it's a good vacation or whether it's just you know watching movies or giving ourselves over to entertainment we try to squeeze from the pleasures things they were never intended to provide things like wholeness satisfaction comfort validation relief In this way, the pleasures of life become a way of rescue from an unfulfilling world. This is an unfulfilling world. We've got a lot of good stuff around us. We've got a lot of toys. We've got a lot of comforts, but, but the, it does not hide the fact that at its core, relationships disappoint. We all get old and sick. We lose people and things we hurt. And if we're not careful, what is happening with the pleasures is we're seeking more than joy from the pleasures of life. We're seeking wholeness. We're seeking a relief from disappointment. We, we can start seeking all kinds of things and viewing different kinds of pleasures and comforts in our life as, as almost a way of salvation from hurt and pain. Now, on Sundays, we know we will say there's only one savior. We'll sing, Jesus is our only savior. And then on Monday through Saturday, and, and or why wait till Monday? Why not start on Sunday? We give ourselves over to the other salvations, the, the little mini salvations, the salvations from pain, the salvations from disappointment. In this way, we can tend to make things like honey our functional saviors, functionally rescuing us from discomfort and pain, giving us hope. Well, tomorrow at least we get to go. We get to leave. We get to go to the lake. We get, you know, whatever it is. So Solomon is saying here: he's like, these are good things. Don't make them more than you need to be. If you're just going to eat and eat and eat because you're trying to satisfy your soul inside, you're going to eventually vomit. It's going to cause more pain. It's going to cause discomfort. So put these things in their context, put them in their place. That's one of the lessons we learned from this text. What I love about Proverbs 25:16 is Solomon doesn't just identify the problem, he also gives a solution. Let's talk about the solution. Look, look again at the verse. Put it back on the screen if you don't mind. Put um, our, our text back on the screen. What is the solution in our verse? Just shout it out. Eat just enough. Eat just enough. That's the solution. Now, I, I don't know about you, but like I didn't have my life changed when I first read that. It's like, oh, that's the solution to why I tend to overindulge in all the comforts and pleasures of, of life. So I did some digging on this and the first place that I go when, when I get a little stuck by a word or phrase in the Bible where I wanna dig deeper is I compare it to other translations because you know we've got so many great translations in our English language and they're all translating from the same original texts, but they're coming at it from different angles. So those of you who speak multiple languages, two or more languages, you know that translation is not always a word for word deal. There's certain words that don't mean the same thing in this language they do in another. So let's put on the screen the next slide here. This is what different translations say. Eat just enough, eat only enough for you, eat only what you need, okay, that, that's, that's helpful. Eat only as much as you need, another way to say the same thing. Eat only what is sufficient. Okay, there's a, a new word that's helpful. Eat only as much as sufficient for you. And then the last one, eat just the right amount. So you got the idea of need in there. You got the idea of sufficiency. And so I, I took this a little bit further and I said, well, well, let, let me pull this word enough, sufficient, enough, similar words. Let me look these up and let me do some word studies on these. And one of the helps that I found is when you look at just the regular English definition of the word enough, here's what you find. This is the dictionary definition Uh, I think I got this from Random House Dictionary. Enough is the amount that is sufficient for the purpose. That's not necessarily life-changing, but when I studied it, it introduced the purpose idea, and, and that unlocked something for me. If you can identify what the purpose of a certain thing is, you can then know when you've had enough. What is the purpose of food? To give your body nutrients, you know, to, to, to fill you with energy, okay? What is the purpose of sleep? Give your body the rest of needs. What's the purpose of vacation? What's the purpose of, I mean, g- g- think about that, how helpful that is with anything in life to know how, how do I know when enough is enough? Well, let me go to the purpose of the thing, and when that purpose has been reached, it's, it's like the, the, the water has reached its proper bank. And the, the river has reached the banks of the river. So if you think even subconsciously that the purpose behind a certain pleasure in your life is your satisfaction or your wholeness or your, your validation or your comfort from pain, you will always overindulge because you'll never find enough. So the starting place is you have to, to shift the idea, oh, the purpose of these pleasures is not to fill me and make life okay because as long as I'm seeking that from it, I will always overindulge because I'll never find the end. So this brings us to a very important question. What is the purpose of God's pleasures? The pleasures that God has made in this creation, the created pleasures, what is the purpose? Why did God make honey and everything else good? Biblically, I think that we can find two really good answers, to bring us joy and to bring God glory. Those go together, but I want to talk about them independently. And so I'm going to talk about the first and apply it. Talk about the second and apply it because this is gonna get very practical. If you can identify the purpose of pleasures in life and you can be helped. To bring us joy, let's start there. In our Generous God series, we talked about the fact that God created a world of abundance. He could have made a world of just enough. He actually created a world of abundance. You know, He, he could have made... Um, 12 varieties of beautiful flowers. Instead, he made hundreds of thousands of varieties of beautiful flowers. He didn't have to make oceans and streams and valleys and rainbows and mountains and all the glorious things that we get to enjoy. He didn't have to embed in the creation the raw resources and give human beings the ability to cultivate them, to produce things like uh, amazing movies that make you cry and, and while you're eating delicious popcorn in an air-conditioned theater. I mean, all these wonderful things that we have in front of us today. He chose to create the world this way. His generosity toward us flows out of his love for us. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember this when we talked through it, he, he described God as a good father who loves to give gifts to his children. When any parent gives a gift to his or her child, the desire is for the child to enjoy it. If I gave my daughter a gift and, and they saw it and then they closed the box up and hid it in the closet and said, that looks like too much fun for me, I would be sad. I want them to enjoy it. I want, think about that word, enjoy. I want them to find joy in the gift God wants us to find joy in honey and the other good pleasures of life. It is his domain. It is his territory. Why is it there? For our joy, number one. We'll talk about the second reason in a bit. Let's apply this one first. What's the application? If the pleasures are there in part for your joy, go enjoy them. In fact, enjoy them in a way that will maximize your joy. Which is where moderation comes in, because God put in the world this law of diminishing returns. <laughs> and the first slice of cake is always the best slice of cake. The second slice is oh, I don't know. The third slice is like oh, this used to taste good. You know, you're just kind of eating it. You're kind of just drunk on the sugar. The law of diminishing returns is helpful. And the purpose is to help us maximize our enjoyment. It's like eat that first slice or even that first bite and enjoy it to the maximum amount because the next bite's a little less and the next bite's a little less. Have you ever thought about this? This is actually a really helpful principle. So that's the first thought is engage the God-given pleasures in ways that maximize your joy. Like go for it. How are you gonna go for it? In moderation, because that actually maximizes your joy. And then the second thing is engage them thoughtfully, not thoughtlessly. When I wrote that point, I was sipping on a Coke Zero Sugar with vanilla. And I wasn't even thinking about it, I was just downing it. And I I was thoughtlessly drinking it. And I wrote that thing, you know, thoughtfully, not thoughtlessly. And I thought, okay, my next sip, I'm gonna think about it. Oh, I, I, I actually tasted it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the mix of the flavors. You know, I could taste a little bit of vanilla and the cola flavor and then the, the fizziness. Is just, it's just kind of a delightful, it's a little taste explosion in your mouth. You know, And, and all this time, you know, I was two thirds of the way through the thing and I hadn't given it one single thought, I wasn't even enjoying it. You, you see how this works? So engage it in moderation because that maximizes your joy, law of diminishing returns, and engage it thoughtfully, not thoughtlessly. That's how you can maximize your joy, and God gave you good things in your life for you to enjoy them in their proper context. Purpose number one, to bring us joy. Purpose number two, the pleasures of life, to glorify God. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. I love what James did, does in that verse, did, when he wrote it. He starts by reflecting on... Every good and perfect gift, he's saying, is from above. And then when his mind goes above, he starts worshiping from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Oh, glory to God. Anything delightful to your senses is a reminder that you serve a God of creativity and love who is worthy to be worshiped. When you're conscious of the giver of the gift, it'll draw you toward God, not away from him. So when, when I give my daughters a gift and they receive it and enjoy it, it will draw them to me. They will want to come and thank me and hug me. When we engage the pleasures in a way that, that brings us joy, it's an opportunity for us to glorify God and move toward God, thank him, give him glory in that gift. Here's a big thought for you. Perhaps the pleasures of life are here not to satisfy you, but to point you to the one who can satisfy you. So when I have a good gift to my daughter, I know she will not find ultimate joy in that thing, whatever it is, but it draws her relationally to me. And and I would want the same things for my daughters with the good things in life, but I want them to draw relationally to God because he's gonna be their satisfaction. He's gonna be all those things that they're craving. They're gonna find them in him, not in his stuff. And so if we wanna apply this idea of, of, of Engaging the pleasures in a way that glorifies God, it means we must learn to become people who enjoy the pleasures of life differently than the world around us. So here's a summary statement I'll put on the screen. It's a little bit of the big idea of today's message, but something that I think you can kind of just hold with you a little bit. Engage the pleasures of life as a means for joyful worship rather than a means for personal satisfaction. Think about the way our world engages all the excessive pleasures and joys and everything. I and mean, every advertisement in the message is basically, you can be satisfied by doing this, purchasing this, grabbing onto this thing or this vacation or this cruise, whatever it is. We're gonna say, no, we will enjoy some of those things, but we're gonna do them as a means not for our personal satisfaction, but for our joy in God's glory. We are gonna worship God through these things. And in that, we are gonna be so filled with joy because we're tapping into our created purpose, which is worship. And we're not even having to deny ourselves of the things that God has given us and saying, here's honey, eat. So very practically, let's talk about how we do this. How do we engage the pleasures of life as a means toward joyful worship rather than a means to personal satisfaction. Here's just a very simple thing you can do and then we're gonna have a chance to actually practice it this morning. Let's go ahead and put the next slide on, on it. There's three little steps and, and I've just thought about this as I eat a slice of cake or whatever. Acknowledge the giver, enjoy the gift, give thanks. And I do them in that order. So acknowledge the giver before I even take a first bite. You know? And by the way, It's one reason why we pray before our meals. It's not just God bless the food. You know, have you ever thought about that? What does that actually really mean anyway? What are you really asking? Well, that's a different sermon. But but thank God for the food. It's like, God, we acknowledge this is from you, And, and not just for our sustenance, not just the milk, but the honey as well, for our joy and your glory. You did not have to make food taste this good before you go on a vacation with your family. Pause. God, we acknowledge this as a gift from you. We are about to enjoy this and we wanna recognize so our minds are in the right place, a place of worship, not selfish consumption as we go on this trip or as we enjoy the weather or as we go play golf, you know, whatever it is. Acknowledge the giver. Second of all, enjoy the gift. Like lean into it, not away from it. It's like if you're gonna drink a Coke Zero sugar with vanilla, drink the thing, you know? Enjoy every sip. If you're gonna eat a slice of cake, eat the cake. You know, enjoy that slice that you have. Enjoy it. Let the tastes just linger in your mouth. Lean into it. Don't shy away from it. And then give thanks God, that tasted so good. Thank you for giving that to me. Just that simple, just that simple. Acknowledge the giver, enjoy the gift, give thanks. All right, it's time to worship. We're gonna live this out. We're gonna practice it. Take take out the little honey stick that you received when you came in. You thought maybe this is just a memento from the sermon. Oh no, this is part of our worship service. If you did not get one of these on your way in, don't be shy I would encourage you to stand up and go out and through those doors and grab one if you'd like to participate, and I hope, hope you will. Uh, maybe if you have an aversion to honey. Do you still eat honey, um, ma'am? Yes, okay, okay, good. Well, I don't eat American cheese anymore, so I thought maybe you didn't, but um, if, if you, you know, nutritionally, if you're able to eat it with us, dietary-wise, and if, and if you're able to enjoy it with us this morning, Uh, please do, if not, then you can just imagine some other food that you particularly like and enjoy. We're gonna do this, we're gonna acknowledge the giver, we're gonna enjoy the gift, and we're gonna give thanks. Now, I have to just tell you, don't do it yet, but let me tell you how to get into this thing. (laughs) And that way, when we get to the enjoy the gift part, you'll be able to do it. So the easiest way to do this is you hold this thing vertically compared to your face, you know, vertically, not horizontally, vertically, and then you're gonna pinch it open with your teeth. And then as soon as you pinch it, you're gonna immediately taste it. So some of you are doing it now, just hold on, hold on. Uh, All right, so that's how you're gonna open this, okay? So the first thing we're gonna do is we're just gonna acknowledge the giver. So let's bow our heads, and and I'll lead us in this. And it just doesn't have to be magical words, doesn't have to be fancy words. So God, we acknowledge you made honey. And and in particular, you created the flowers with the potential, the the sweet aroma that those flowers have and the, the bees that came around and cultivated this, that, that pollinated these flowers and in some amazing, miraculous, natural way. We have this substance now. And part of the reason, God, honey is on the earth. Part of the reason is for us to enjoy it. And we're about to do that. So we acknowledge you as a giver of good gifts all right, congregation, it is now time to enjoy the gift. So so let that taste, just go ahead. Let the, let that taste just, just have a little explosion in your mouth and, and just savor the sweetness. Maybe lick your lips a little bit because it'll kind of get the sticky sweetness on your lips. Remember um, maybe some memories uh, from your childhood of when you enjoyed honey or maybe the first time you had honey or, you know, a... a honey on a piece of toast or whatever kind of good memories you have on that. And we're going to, we're going to enjoy this. Hmm. It's delicious. It's really good. And then the final thing we're going to do is bow your heads again. And we're going to thank God just very simply. God, we thank you for the taste buds you gave us to take the the sweetness uh, and receive it in a way that brings pleasure To our bodies what a gift all of that is and we thank you for that little gift of joy that is a taste of what is to come on the new heaven and the new earth and we worship you God through this honey in the name of Jesus amen amen now we have worshipped God through singing, we have worshiped God in prayer, we have worshiped God by hearing God's word, and we are gonna worship God now through the Lord's table. And how appropriate that the Lord's table is also something for us to taste. Go ahead and pull this out if you have it or if you're home online, you can take what you have there at your home. And I'll give you a moment to get this open because I know it's tricky. The first little piece of cellophane gets you to the bread and uh, just pull that out just alone for now. Let's hold the bread in your hand just for a minute. The band's gonna come out and they're gonna start playing for us here and we're gonna sing one more song in, in a minute. But I want you to consider as you hold this little wafer, um, unlike the honey, it does not taste like much. But it represents all you need. It represents your true salvation. It represents the substance. It's the, bread, it's the broken body of Jesus. It points to the death of Jesus for you and for anyone who has put your faith in Jesus Christ. The taste that you are about to experience reminds you that you have received from him in full payment for your debt Uh, the, the expectation and joy of an eternity with him, and the freedom that comes from being a child of God. Have all of that in your mind as you taste the bread. Let us eat. And now you can carefully peel back that foil layer to get to the juice. And the juice inside these little plastic cups represents the blood of Jesus. Unlike the honey, it is not just sweet. There is some sweetness to it, but there's also bitterness of the grapes. It is a reminder to us of the cost. The shed blood of Jesus came at ultimate cost. And yet, because of his blood, we are forgiven and we can taste the sweetness and the goodness of our salvation as we drink. So let us taste the cup with that in mind. Let's drink Our Father, even as these flavors commingle in our mouths, the sweetness of the honey, the blandness of the bread, the bittersweetness of the juice, it reminds us life is full of all of those things. It's the way that you've designed it. I pray that we would follow you in this world and our moment in time that has so given itself to seeking pleasure that it has lost the point of pleasure. Help us to live differently. May we lean into our salvation. May we reflect on the life of Jesus, and may we be empowered by the Spirit to engage the good things in our lives with gratitude and joy. In Jesus' name we pray.